honor and a privilege uh, to be um, just to, to, to be the pastor here at Vintage and for Randlegget to lead uh, you guys. Um, you know, we've been 13 and a half years uh, of doing this, and there have been you know beautiful moments, and as you know, difficult moments, and. And uh, we're just thankful for each of you, just the way that you've invested into our lives, but more importantly, how you invest into the lives of Vintage. Uh, we would not be able to do what we do if we were not walking with you and sharing the load with you. And um, so, yeah, thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for your investment. Um, thank you for your, your lives and investment here at Vintage, and we are very, very thankful for it. All right, well, we're going to dive back in this morning. We've been um, talking about Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. Uh, it's been our small group study. We're in week five right now. In the first two weeks, honestly, we're actually about seven weeks in because the first two weeks, our first three weeks, we actually looked at Ephesians chapter two, verses eight through ten. And we're going to look, touch on that here in a bit. But the understanding that we talked about is that, man, Paul is leading, uh, leading Titus to be a teacher of the church in Crete. He wants to lead them. He wants to guide them. He wants to help them be who they're called to be, right? And so last week, last week, we, we talked, uh, talked about a kind of a heavy teaching that Paul had to Titus, that Titus was then to go teach to the people about their responsibility and their right action. Everybody say responsibility. Everybody say right action. The idea behind both of these words is that there was a personal responsibility to the way that they live their lives, right? They had a responsibility to have right action because the understanding is very, very simple. I can have all the right words about Jesus. I can have all the right doctrine about faith and Christianity, but my life may look nothing like the words I have said and the things that I say I believe, and it compromises it. The idea every day that there are people who are hypocritical in the way that they live. And we talked last week about people that you know who are far from Jesus or maybe those who don't know Jesus. And every single time that there is some sort of scandal in the church, you cringe because you recognize how that impacts the message of the gospel to those who are far away. And Paul says, listen, it's imperative that you live rightly. It's imperative that you have right action, not just right words, right? The gospel is proclaimed, yes, by words, but we could say maybe more importantly with right action because right action then proves our words to be true. And Paul's coming and saying, this is a really, really big deal to me. And the reason is very, very simple. The primary passion, the primary passion of Paul is to see not yet Christians in Crete come to faith, and it's happening through the church in Crete. And so how they live is super important, which means then it's super important for you. The idea is that these words of Paul are timeless in nature. The idea for you is that you have to be able to look and, and say confidently, I'm not perfect, but I am living my life with my actions every day to stay in step with my doctrine and what I say with my words so that my actions don't hinder people coming to Jesus. Because we said last week, whether you like it or not, 
People are watching you every day. If you claim to be a Christian, they're watching you. It's why when I was growing up, I never put a Christian fish on the back of my Chevy Blazer because I knew how I drive, how I drove, right? It was a dangerous thing for Jesus for me to put a fish on the back of my Blazer. Because I knew how my driving was. And it's the same deal in a reality for us and how we live our lives. And Paul is trying to proclaim this message. Now, the life we're called to live by Paul, it's incredibly difficult. If you go back and listen to the message and read verses 1 through 10 of Titus chapter 2, like it's a lot of things that he calls us to. One of the primary things he calls for eat for, for six, the six groups that he names, older men, Older women, younger men, younger women, Titus himself, and then slaves who were part of the church. Every single one of them, he says, listen, you have to embrace the spirit of self-control. You have to be expressing self-control in every step that you take in your life. Now, question, just real quick, show of hands. How many of you, how many of you find it very easy to live a holy life on planet Earth? Right? Thank you for not raising your hands, because you would have been lying, right? I would have caught you right there. No, it's hard. All of us know that. The convictions that we're called to, the things that we're called to, the life that we're called to, in, it's, it's difficult. And I would say, honestly, in your own strength, the life that Paul, the life that Paul called them to, it was impossible in their own strength. Everybody say, in their own strength. And that's the key. That's the key for the moment. None of us can live that life. The Cretans couldn't live that life. We need help, and we need a power and ability outside of ourselves. And that's the whole message of Titus chapter 2, 11 through 15. You can't, but God's spirit and grace in you can. We're going to dive into that this morning. You can follow along in your Bibles, Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. If you don't have your Bibles, you can just follow on the screen. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared. So he's just laid out this whole long list of things they're called to do. And he says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. The grace of God teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while, while we wait for the blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ this Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach, Titus. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Paul's teaching here is focused on the outpouring of God's grace, God's undeserved outpouring of power. That's what grace is. God's undeserved outpouring of power in your lives to live godly lives. Your undeserved outpouring of God's power for the outpouring of strength for you to live the life that you're called to live. Grace teaches us simply this. When we can't, which is all the time, we know that God can. In essence, that's what grace is. We can't, but we know that God can. 
Back when I was like four or five years old, this is a very vivid memory for me. My mom, at the time, she worked for McDonald's in corporate. She was an administrative assistant for somebody. I have no idea who. And so they, but whoever this was, they were a different lifestyle than us. And they invited us one day to their lake house and to their nice big sailboat on Lake Lanier. That was not our world, right? But we were invited to come up and spend the day. And so we go up. I'd been on bass boats my entire life, all four years, right? But I'd never been on a sailboat. So we get up there and you have one of those really cool, really, this really hip, you know, this, uh, it's a catamarans, right? One of those catamarans. It's just a kind of a vinyl piece on top and a big sail. And so we, I've been on bass boats again. I've been my entire life, but I've never been on a sailboat. I never forget just getting on and being like, this is so weird and so cool. And so you know how it is. The wind picks up the sails. We begin our way out in the southern part of Lake Lanier, and we get out to the main body. Thankfully, there's nobody out there, no big waves, but we're out there. And we get to the very, very middle of Lake Lanier, probably around the Three Sister Islands, you know, Lake Lanier, and all of a sudden the wind dies. When I say it dies, I mean zero knots. I mean, literally, there's nothing happening in the air whatsoever, and there's no little engine on the back of this catamaran, right? We are stuck, and I don't know if this guy wasn't a very good sailor, didn't know what to do, but he kind of starts freaking out a little bit, right? And because I was a four- and five-year-old, I'm still Steve Hambrick, I'm going to try to fix the moment, right? And so I'm like, what can we do here? The four- and five-year-old brain, just spinning, and I see the I see the sail, I see this down, and so I do what we should do. We should create wind. So I start going, and I start blowing, right? And you know what happened? Absolutely nothing, right? And everyone starts looking at me and doing the, oh, that's the cute chuckle. As a four- or five-year-old, I didn't appreciate being cute. I wanted to be strong. And I'm like, why are you laughing? You're not doing anything, right? And I'm like, but this is not happening. So I'm blowing, and literally nothing is happening, because the reality is this, in the context of that sail that was before us, there was nothing that I could do in my own power, no breath I could create in my own strength to fill that sail and cause us to move to get back to where we needed to be. We needed what? Something that we couldn't create in our own strength. Something that we couldn't purchase something that we, quote-unquote, didn't deserve. We needed God's wind to all of a sudden begin to stir up and to begin blowing to fill that sail and to move us back to the dock of where we needed to be. Just to finish the story for giggles, we, the wind never came up. My dad and his bass boat had to come pick us up and pull us back to the boat dock. Praise God, right? Our 150 pulled us right back in. It was awesome, right? So, But that's the idea. You get it. In our own strength, we can't fill our sails, but we need the wind to blow. As we talk about the nature of grace, that's what it is. Grace is that force, that power that's moving every single day of your life to say, today I can't, but God says, but I will blow. I will be the wind every single day. You can't do anything to earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. You can't purchase it from me. But I cannot wait to move in you and to cause growth to occur in your life to the point that you start living a godly life where the things that I've called you to, you start doing them because I'm empowering you with my spirit and my wind to do it. That's the whole point of grace. 
If you want to dive deeper into this, go back about six, seven weeks. Go watch our, go watch on YouTube our messages from Ephesians chapter two, eight through ten. You know the 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 verse. The verse. It says this: For it is by grace you have been saved. The power of God you couldn't earn and deserve, him blowing into your sails, right? It's by the grace of God that you've been saved through faith, your belief in it. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. He created us in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So my argument here in Titus chapter 2 is simple. Paul is teaching the Christians in Crete that in their own strength, they are not capable of living the life that he's called them to live in the previous 10 verses. Instead, he's looking at them saying, but don't worry, the grace of God is available to empower you to be the wind that you need to fill your sails to live the life that I've called you to live, ultimately that God's called you to live. They cannot... Blow into their own sails. That's the whole Old Testament. In your own strength, you can't live the life you've been called to live. You need someone to blow into your sails. You need someone to save you, right? They need the undeserved work of God in their lives. And Paul's going to come in these verses and say, and it is present for you. Let me just get to the end and say the good news for you. The grace of God is is available to you yesterday, today, and tomorrow to live any type of life that he has called you to live. And any belief other than that is a belief in a lie from the enemy. Because Jesus will never tell you he can't do something through you. Only the enemy will tell you Jesus can't. So this is what we see in verse 11 through 12. Again, if you want to have your Bibles, you can just kind of put your finger there and look at it, or you can just follow along. Verse 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, thank praise God, that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, ungodly lives in this present age. First, salvation, never forget this about salvation. Salvation is twofold for believers. There's a grace for or salvation, like initial salvation, and then there's ongoing salvation. We see both of these represented here. In verse 11, grace appears to offer salvation to all people. This speaks about initial salvation, that moment where you recognized your sin, you were convicted of it, and you turned to the Lord, and you said, God, forgive me for my sins. I believe. I believe in the death of Jesus. I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I believe in the sending of your spirit to empower me. I'm sorry for my sin. I give my life to you to follow you the rest of my days. How many of you have that story of Jesus initially saving you at whatever age? Raise your hand, please. You experience the initial salvation that grace afforded, the power of God afforded. But then verse 12 tells us of the grace that leads to ongoing salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, ongoing salvation is this. I needed Jesus to conquer sin in my life there, but I don't know about you, but I need the power of Jesus every day to keep me from falling into sin. Someone say amen. 
That's the ongoing salvation. He doesn't say, oh, I gave you grace the moment, now figure it out. He says, no, no, I gave you grace to save you, and then my grace will be present every day to empower you. Empower you what? To say no to ungodliness is what verse 12 says. To say no to worldly passions. And to say yes to live a self-controlled, upright, and godly life in this present age. His grace, his power is available to us every single day. Apart from grace, we have no ability in our own strength to conquer, defeat, sin in our lives. But his grace is present, his power, his wind that blows into the sails of your struggles, of your temptation, of your fears and your doubts and your anxieties. Second, grace, it tells us, is an ongoing teacher. I love that language, is an ongoing teacher. You understand teaching, it speaks to our need to be continually listening. Teachers are useless in our lives if we're not continually giving ourselves to listen to them. It means we need to be continually teachable with a heart and mindset towards surrender to God's leadership. Why? Because he is Lord of our lives. He is in control. He is the one that we follow. He's the one that we model our life after. Every single day we can listen to him instead of listening to ourselves because he is our teacher. He is our Lord And he is a loving Lord. He's for us, not against us. He's for us, not against us. In this, he is our teacher. It speaks to the necessity of taking time every day to look to, to surrender, and obey him. His grace is always present. Hear that again. His grace and his power is always present and available to you in every area of your life. That just needs to sink in. His grace and his power. Think about every place where you're longing for the breath of God to blow into a specific sail. And you've been working all day long. His grace and his power is available. Listen, name your greatest struggle Name your greatest temptation. What is it? What is it in your life? In your with sin or things in your life? I want to be very clear here. Paul is telling Titus and the Christians in Crete, and I believe telling us today, that grace is always present to lead us, guide us, and empower us to conquer sin and to have victory in our lives. If we don't believe we have the power to conquer and have victory, then we have believed a lie of the enemy. His spirit is not weak. His spirit is empowering. It's the same spirit empowering you with grace that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Someone say amen to that. Have you heard that lie? I hear it all the time. And Paul is saying probably, hey, guys, I get it. I'm a human being. I hear it all the time. I want you to know my conviction. I want to lead you into it. It is freeing. Which then leads to verse 13. So with grace being present, grace then leads us to to where we should focus our eyes. 
where we should focus our eyes. Have you ever sat back and just thought about all the things that you think about, the things that you focus on and look at every single day in your mind and outside of your mind? Like, I'll be honest with you, like, I recognize being married to Randall. There are a lot more things that stir through Randall's mind than stir through mine. You know what I'm getting at? Like, she has a lot more things. Like, I can sit there for an hour and just think about the football game that I'm watching. And Randall's got her phone and her computer and the football game on, accomplishing tasks because they keep on popping into her brain while she's watching Alabama win a football game, right? It's like, that's just how she rolls. I'm like, eh, right? But my brain still stirs a lot. And I look at my life, and I'm like, man, there are so many things that I'm looking at every single day. Internally, things that my brain kind of goes to, I focus on, I think about, right? Things on the outside. I mean, we're in one of those seasons. It's fall. How many of you fall is your favorite season? Hey, praise God for it, right? Like, I literally find myself just walking outside and being focused on the beauty of the leaves changing, right? Uh, of the weather yesterday that was so perfect. It was a little bit cool, a little bit overcast. It felt like fall. I had football games going on all day long and game day in advance, all the way to like 11 o'clock tonight watching Michigan win, right? It was like a big moment, a big day, super fun. Super fun. All of these things, right? Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. The idea, I find myself, I, like a lot of people, struggling, and their eyes are focused on, on worry, focused on doubt, focused on fear, maybe focused on the sense they have of just living rejected and, and not being loved or lovable or, or worthy of love. All these thoughts that struggle with. And, and so in this moment, Paul speaks and says, there are good things you focus on and there are bad things you focus on. But I want you to recognize that grace leads us to have one primary point of view that covers everything and becomes the lens through which you see everything in your life. Verse 13, he says, this beautiful thing about grace is while we wait. Wait here is like an expectancy, like I'm looking for something. I'm waiting for the blessed hope. What is it? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In this moment, he's coming and saying, there is something beyond everything that every day you need to be giving your yourself to, your vision to, internally, externally. It's the fact that you are a people who've been designed for eternity, not the temporal world in which you live. The things of the world bow down to the God of all glory. That's the idea. He's coming and saying, so when you find yourself in that moment, because you need to fill the sail, just look to the glory of God. He is eternal. We are a heavenly-minded people. The earth is not our home. We live with a constant reminder that there is an age to come. We aren't living for, we weren't created for the world in which we live. That's why God allowed death into the world. Why? So that we could end the temporal and enter into the eternal. Death was a gift. Oh, I didn't make you for that. I created you for this. That's going to be short, 70, 80, 90 years. This is forever. That becomes your focus. You are an eternal people. And the beauty of the eternal perspective is what? We are literally looking. The only way you can see something appear is if you're looking for it and focusing on it. 
Listen, I, I've been, there have been moments where I've been looking for somebody, right? We went and voted the other day, and I'm waiting for Randall. She's not, and I'm like, what is taking so long, right? And I'm waiting and waiting and I'm waiting. And I thought to myself, well, maybe she's at the other door. And I went around, and she's just standing there waiting for me, right? I'd been completely looking in the wrong place, in the wrong direction, and all of it, and I completely missed her beautiful appearing. Because my eyes were in the wrong place, focused in the wrong place. But if I'd been standing in the right place with my eyes, I could have watched her walk out. The glory of God is something that we are looking for, living for. We are living with our affections every day saying, I know I'm here, but I'm designed for this. And I would just say something just real quick. If you don't feel like that is your life experience, take a deep breath and don't feel shame around it. Just invite the Holy Spirit to awaken you to a new eternal perspective that changes how you view everything in life. He's like, oh, man, I've been waiting to change this perspective. Just watch out. I cannot wait to awaken you to the grace and the power that's available every day to blow into the sales of the things that you are wrestling with in your life. Listen, there will be no worry or anxiety or fear in heaven. If it's not going to be there then, then we don't have to make it our primary focus now. If success and the job that you have is something that takes most of your time, just recognize you won't have that job in heaven. Every day you'll be focusing on the beauty of God and enjoying him forever. Greater is one day in the courts of God than the thousand days elsewhere, we are told in Scripture. Side note, of all the New Testament, there isn't as clear, this is for you who like to have this in your arsenal, there is not a, as clear a statement about Jesus being God as there is right here in Titus chapter 2. The verse says, they're waiting for the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, who is Jesus. Paul has this very clear testimony here that Jesus is God. Super important. You can take that with you. Here we go. Verse 14. Grace speaks to the work that Jesus did for us. So grace is always going to lead us to the work and the act of God. Why do I say that? So Paul wanted to teach the entire church about the work that Jesus did for them, those whom he loved. Right? I listened to a short teaching this week from Francis Chan. I forget who he was talking to, but he said, Every time you sit down to pray, take 10 seconds. Take 20 seconds. This is important. Real practical. Take 10 seconds. 20 seconds. Maybe take 30 seconds. And just think about who the person is that you're praying to. Think about who he is. Think about what he's done. Think about how his grace is present and how much he loves you. He says, if you do it every time, it will change the way that you pray. Paul is trying to awaken them here, right? He says this, Jesus, in verse 14, Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness 
and Jesus who's going to purify for himself a people that are his very own, a people who are eager to do what is good. The two words Paul uses for Jesus' action are redeem and purify. Again, the first speaks to history. That moment you gave your life to Jesus, the moment that we awaken to the work of Jesus on the cross, his death, which led to his resurrection, which then led to the sending of his spirit. Redemption speaks to the greatest act of love the world has ever known. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. The idea of Jesus dying for us is the greatest expression of love the world has ever known. Jesus will continue to express his love to you, but he doesn't have to because he already did. It's the greatest act we could ever know. And so he wants them to be a Awaken to and remember, don't forget redemption. Don't forget, think about it, study it, learn about it, understand the power behind it. It's the greatest act of love, right? Paul wants to remind them of the act of love of Jesus that changed everything. But the second word speaks to the ongoing nature of his work in our life. It's the act of purifying. He says he wants to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Purify has that same word. Do you know what the word sanctification? Just a big Bible word, churchy word that simply means the process of being made into the likeness of Jesus, right? He's purifying us. He comes and he washes us every day. He cleanses of our sins every single day and the things we're wrestling with. He comes every day and shapes us and he molds us. I don't know about you, but the person I was when I came to Christ as a 12-year-old is very different than the Christian who's 48 years old sitting in front of you today because of the work of God to purify me. He's doing that work. It's a work of his grace. He says, every day I'm committed to purify you, to fight for you, and to move you into my likeness. Why? Part of it's the bridal language at the end of the days, right? That God is purifying for himself a bride, holy and spotless. So when the day of glory comes, he presents his church, a purified bride before him. And with great anticipation and with great excitement and a great party in heaven, he says, this is what you were created for, this ceremony of marriage together that I've been purifying you for every day of your life. And Paul simply saying, guys, That's what he's calling us to today. And don't worry, he is coming with his breath to purify you by his grace. As we get into verse 15, just real real, real short, it's Paul's encouragement and reminder to Titus about his authority as a shepherd. It's not on the screen. His shepherd and the leader over the church. He's encouraging him, right, as one who has authority. The scripture says that he is to rebuke and challenge people in their sin with the authority of God. The idea for us is very simple. As shepherds and as leaders and whatever area it is that you are leading, right, spiritually, there is an authority that's been given to you. It doesn't make you better than, it just gives you a unique calling. I'm not better than anyone at Vintage, but my calling is unique. There's an authority I carry with the words that I speak and the responsibility in how I carry them. There's an authority, and in that I have the right to come and to challenge you, to rebuke you for the purpose of salvation and healing, right? 
right? Michael stopped sinning, right? Okay, right? It's like that's, that's the authority I have as one who loves him well. And I have the right to come and to love. And so Paul is just reminding Titus of that. And I just remind you, those who, of you who have authority in a space or a spiritual authority, whether it's in a small group that you're leading or a, uh, or a place that maybe your work, maybe you are the path. Listen, I'm going to get bivocational here. Like, like some of you are the pastor of your, of your job. Anybody in here would say, you know, I really do carry a shepherd anointing and authority in my job. I am Jesus to people every single day. Show of hands, please. Thank you. Every single person who has any level of authority in their job, you are carrying some shepherd authority, and you have the right in that place, on behalf of Jesus, to speak truth. Just saying. Now, guys, the message from Paul is simple this morning. Verses 1 through 10, your actions every day have the power to lead people to Jesus, or your actions and words have the power to lead people away from Jesus. Super simple. You can't live a holy life, though, in your own strength, the life that Paul's called us to. There is a grace, though, and a power from God available to us today and available to you every day to blow that breath of God into your sails, to live the life that God has called you to live. Our responsibility, your responsibility, keep your eyes focused on Jesus, his appearing, his glory. Turn to him every day as Lord. Turn to him and look to him. Allow him to teach you. And every day partner with him and just say, yes, Lord, whatever you have. Because the beauty of it was, the beauty of it was, it says, those who he moves in, verse 14, says they're eager then to do what is good. How can people get eager to do what is good? Because they're so in love with the one who's leading them. They just can't help but get excited, but follow him and obey everything he has to say. Let's pray. Father, we are overly grateful today for your presence. We're thankful, Jesus, for the work of God in in our lives to bring about salvation. I thank you that you did not leave us as orphans, but you sent us your spirit. And we say, Jesus, Come and have your way in each of us today. Forgive us, Lord, for listening to a message, being convicted by it, and then doing nothing with it. May that not be today, Jesus. Come and have your way. About to go into baptism here in a moment. I want to go ahead and invite Tate to come. Randall, if you can grab. I know. Can you grab the microphone for me, please? Thank you. Before we go into baptisms, you can go ahead and come up, Tate. Before we go into baptisms this morning, I'm going to inv- I'm invited Tate to come and to, to share his story uh, with us. Tate has been a part of Vintage for a good chunk of his life. Uh, he's are you 19 yet or still 18? He's 18, right? He's been a part of Vintage for about the past 13 years. And uh, God's been doing a massive work in his life, uh, going to the holy grounds of Athens, University of Georgia, 
and uh, and Tate's wanted to ask if he could come and before we before we do te- before we do our baptism this morning to come and and to share his story. I, I believe it speaks to the message that Paul has for us in Titus this morning. So Tate, if you don't mind, because I can't let you, you can just take this table and put it right here for me, and then just stand right where the table was, and uh, and you share. So get up for Tate real quick this morning, guys. Hello, hello. Uh, like Mr. Hambrick said, my name is Tay Junsar. I'm a freshman at the University of Georgia. So prayers out to all the Florida fans yesterday. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, as I was praying into being baptized, I just felt like the Lord called me to share my testimony with you guys. So uh, basically throughout my whole life, um, I've gone to church. I've been a part of Vintage, like Steve said, like since day one. And I've, what was I going to say? I've um Yeah, but uh I've always I've always known God and I've always had a relationship with him. And as like as I've gotten older that relationship has grown stronger. And I've always kind of not like pushed off baptism, but always, you know, kind of contemplated it. I mean I was just talking about earlier. So uh basically I remember asking God in my heart when I was four with my mom just on our stairs and just taking that next step. And then when my brother and sister got baptized, I remember being super proud of them. You know, I was happy for them, but I knew that there was, I knew not that I could be perfect, obviously no one's perfect, but I knew there was more that I could do to improve in my faith. And I also was kind of like, you know, nervous and anxious to come up here and be baptized in front of everybody. I remember telling my mom, like, Mr. Hammer could just come to our house. We could do it in our bathtub. But, uh, so, yeah, here I am now publicly uh, declaring my faith. But, um, yeah, like I was saying, the older I've got, just the stronger my relationship has gotten with God. And especially through college, like, God has just done, like, amazing things. And one of the things that's always kind of set me back and kind of held me from getting into that, like, real, authentic relationship with God I'm not going to say the word because there's kids in here, but like looking at things that are not of God, if you guys know what I mean. So that was for like the majority of high school and like the first half month of college. And I was under, like I knew it was wrong. I knew it was a sin. I knew I wanted to stop, but I was under the impression that I could stop on my own. So I never had the courage to, you know, talk to anyone or get prayer for that. And then I was on a labor day. God just convicted me. And he was like, you know, it's time, it's time to be done with this. And um, at a Wesley, like I'm wearing, I knew going into that, I wanted to get prayer. And Daniel Simmons was talking. He's, I think he's preached here one or two times before, but he was, uh, he, he spoke at one camp, and he was preaching. You know, the whole time, devils in my head, like, you know, you don't need to get prayer, like you're fine. But then Daniel talked about how he also struggled with that at that age. And I was like, there's God. So, you know, I went up and got prayer from him, and that just brought, like, so much freedom. And just being able to share that with my friends, family, my girlfriend, uh, just the church. Like, I could never imagine coming up here and saying that. And I know that God, uh, everything happens for a reason. And I know that there was a reason why God let that happen and why I haven't been baptized. And, you know, here I am today doing that. And I'm just so excited to, like, 
grow in God's kingdom and grow in a relationship with him. I'm so hungry. I'm so on fire for God right now. And I just want to encourage you guys that, you know, sin is sin. We're all dealing with sin. We all have something in our lives that's prohibiting us from just taking that next step in that relationship with God. And prayer is, is so powerful. James 5:16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So I would just encourage you guys today. I know, I know it's hard to be vulnerable and people you don't know, but there is freedom awaiting you. God is right there with his arms wide open, and he's just waiting for you to turn and to run to him. So I would just encourage you guys today, if there's anything on your hearts, to come get prayer for that. And just let God move. He's there for you. And I know you might be sitting there and in your head. You're like, ah, oh, like, I don't know. It's hard. Don't let the devil prevent you from that. Like, he's always going to remind you of your past, but remind the devil of his future. I mean, that's, he's done. And so, yeah, I mean, you guys are loved. And I'm so thankful to be a part of this community. And you guys have a wonderful community uh, surrounded you guys. So, um. Yeah, that's what I wanted to share. Thank you.